Welcome in to Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner. We are going to be diving in into a ton today on the episode. We got our All Draft Stock team, an article you dropped on the website earlier this week. We're going to be looking at some, pretty much it's the biggest risers this season, right? Yeah, so I maybe misnamed that a little bit. All Draft Stock. I mean, that could go either way, but yeah. it's guys who raised their draft stock, mm-hmm. guys who weren't necessarily on our radar, or if they were on our radar, we're pretty low on in heading into this season, and then shot up our boards. There you go, and we'll also do our draft special segment, looking at some of the top, previewing some of the top rookie perform, uh, rookie matchups upcoming week, then we're going to chug a prospect. Got to chug Jordan Love. Jordan, Jordan Love. I don't know why the hell. We'll get to it later, obviously, but I have no clue how we, why he declared. How? Like He could have transferred to, maybe not Oklahoma, they have uh, Rat, Rattler, uh, whatever, the, the number one recruit at quarterback who's in the wings. Mm-hmm. So maybe they wouldn't have taken him, but someone would have taken him. LSU maybe would have yes. taken him. Texas Tech would have taken him. He has a big year there. He could go top five next year. I know it's you know, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence already, you know, sort of set in stone there in the top ten of the twenty twenty one draft. But there's not like there's not like there's a shortage of quarterbacks. Like team would probably still take you in the top five if you had a monster year. Has all the talent in the world. I cannot believe he declared after what we saw from him this year, which we'll get into then later. What's really frustrating too. I mean, I heard from some people, you know, in, in the league talking about, oh, they, they expected him, him in the league. they expected him to, to transfer. Return. There was this, yeah. they were expecting a transfer, not him to return to Utah oh, yeah. state, but they were expecting College. him to transfer um, to another school. So that's very interesting. I'm, uh, I'm interested to know the feedback he got from that committee or whatever that tells you whether or not, yeah, yeah. where you're going to go in the draft to be interesting. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive into this all draft stock team, some risers and no better start the quarterback position, Joe Burrow above, average Joe, whatever you want to call him. This guy has been a rocket. I mean, you were talking about him since like week three. Like, oh man, this guy's looking very, very good. And then week five rolls around week six. And then all of a sudden he's at the top of everyone's mock draft. Yeah, it was like week three. And I was like, damn, he's had two games that were probably the best two games I've seen from like any of the prospects at any point in time. Like they were just that good. Not against great competition necessarily, but he just had done it. uh, Like it was just a high level that we really hadn't seen. And then all of a sudden that was every single game he basically played this year. So I think it's about time to start talking about Joe Burrow, like I said, in sort of best prospects since X sort of terms, not just should he go number one, how much better of a prospect is he than even Kyler Murray last year than Baker Mayfield? Because I think with every passing game where he dominates another good defense, he's starting to pass up some of those guys, you know, for some former number one overall picks in my mind. Uh, And I feel very confident about Joe Burrow being a franchise quarterback option. The Bengals, just have to not fuck it up at this point. <laughs> to give an idea of the rise in 2018, a 79.5 overall grade for Joe Burrow um, completed 218 passes from 377 attempts for 2,890 yards. Yeah, sub 60 completion percentage. Yes. Every game this year has been above 70. That's ridiculous. 57.8% to be exact. And this year, an absolute rocket, as I mentioned, 94.3 overall grades, 78% of his passes completed, 48 touchdowns, six picks. It's been incredible. It's such a rise. And we did an article on the website, and another analyst, Anthony Trash, looking at the offense and how much it's gotten better. A lot of it is Burrow. Yes, Joe Brady, mm-hmm. he's had, you know, he's, he's turned that offense around a little bit, made it a better passing offense. But from an action standpoint, when you're looking at his play out of structure, Joe yeah. Burrow has really really impressed this year no yeah i mean like it it's sort of like a twofold you don't just flip overnight with no help scheme wise no help from uh, the offensive players around you you don't make that big of a leap but he has made in his own right for him a massive leap again the likes of which we've never seen here at pff so yes uh joe burrow number one overall pick lock it in right now and he's on the precipice of possibly breaking the pff grade for highest graded quarterback and that's against the sec kyler murray i think was and that's against the big 12 so he could break it against sc and then in the college football playoff also jesus Let's move to running back on this all draft stock team here. Clyde Edwards Lair, the LSU running back, five foot eight, two hundred nine pounds. Watched a ton of his tape this morning, and it reminds me a little bit of Jarek McKinnon, Giovanni Bernard, like that similar size, that similar uh, is that type of back, yeah, agility, athleticism. What I was really impressed with, though, I think in the open field, he makes people miss. That's yes. what, that's the biggest thing for me. And then the secondly, when he does run forward, when he is trying to wear contact, he wears it well. It's not something he where he's getting knocked back like some other smaller backs. I saw he's not as good, not nearly as good, but DeAndre Wash. Washington out of Texas Tech when he was coming out. He had that similar like lower frame where it's a, l- a little bit thicker than most guys for a guy his size. You know, like I said, five foot eight, two or nine pounds. I- I've been really impressed with his ability. I think he fits in the modern NFL. He runs a like a Texas route or an angle route against Georgia uh, in this pa- 
past week. That's very, very impressive. I think he could run routes, too. Yeah, he went from 10 catches last year to 50 already this year. And the crazier thing is, so he broke a 33 tackles on 147 attempts last year, which is fine. That's not anything special in terms of tackle breaking ability, but 63 this year on 196 attempts. So almost twice as many on only 50 more, uh, almost 50 more carries there for him. So he's breaking a lot more tackles. And like you mentioned, that receiving ability is fairly legit in space, has that scat back sort of potential in the NFL. Uh, people see CSI is probably not thinking of him as an every down option, but he's the kind of guy we'll like in terms of his receiving ability, tackle breaking ability. 12 forced missed tackles on those 50 receptions as well, which isn't a terrible mm-hmm. ratio. Um, going forward here, let's go to Juwan Jennings, the Tennessee wide receiver. This guy's very interesting. He, very hard to tackle, a bigger receiver. Mm-hmm. I think you know when he catches the football, kind of guys bounce off of him. I think what I noticed, though, when I was watching a lot of his film, Josh Palmer, the other receiver for Tennessee, he was running some nice routes. There were a couple routes, number five for Tennessee, where Juwan Jennings is getting the target and then Palmer's running a pretty crispy round. He's like frustrated on the sideline. I saw several of those on Juwan Jennings tape, but Juwan Jennings, a very interesting prospect for sure. He is the most probably elusive prospect uh, in this draft class in terms of after the catchability. 29 broken tackles this year on I believe 57 catches, but also he's broken six tackles on 11 rushes this year. Like just like Guys can't bring him down. Mm-hmm. He's 6'3", 208, and has uh, just absurd after-the-catch ability so far this year. And the thing is, he had only 438 yards last year. 580 back in 2016 was his career high. That was a sophomore year. He got injured, wrist injury 2017, missed that whole, basically that whole season. Really nothing to expect to sort of like indicate that he would break out this year, 942 yards. Uh, and I think I said before that the South Carolina game, if you're going to watch any one game from him was one of the most impressive receiving yep. performances I saw all season. And I think when you say elusive, I think a big, a big reason he's breaking a ton of tackles is guys are literally falling off of he's him. I think he does. Powerful. A, yeah. He does a very good job of when he catches the football of when, you know, he is contacted. It's not like he's leaving people with their ankles broken. Mm-hmm. He's when he's contacted, he wears that contact. Well, runs through tackles and, and breaks them that way. I think, that's what I was really impressed with with Juwan Jennings, and and now we go to another receiver that's very big, another probably a lot bigger than Juwan James. Well, I guess not a lot, but pretty decent. Sage Surratt of Wake Forest suffered a uh, season-ending injury this year, but before that, raised his draft stock pretty well. I will say this: he's pretty slow. Yes, he's a slow receiver. He's probably on the four sixes. Physical wins with his physicality at the line of scrimmage and away from the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Very big receiver. And again, I, I I was watching another receiver while I was turning on Wake Forest. Scotty Washington, he's six monster. foot five. He's like, yeah. what is that? But I, I thought in some cases, you know, you watch them running routes at the same time. Scotty was a little bit more sudden at the line of scrimmage and sometimes even more physical than Stone Surratt. Don't don't disregard. Don't disrespect Surratt like that. Over a thousand yards in nine games. That's he was I mean. on pace. To, he was on pace to feasibly win the Blitnikoff before he got hurt. Uh, 18 contested catches on 30 opportunities. Elite in that regard. I think that was that's top five in the nation. Still, those 18 contested catches. Uh, he is. Uh, like I said, if you're not fast, you're not going to separate down the football field, which we really didn't see from Surratt. You better be damn good at all the rest of the things. I think he's pretty damn good at the rest of the things in terms of test catchability, winning with physicality, 6'3", 215. Like he's got a for a redshirt sophomore wide receiver. He's already got a pretty uh, developed NFL body. So I do think he could declare if need be or you know, if he wants to. He'd probably be a day two guy at this point. Day two, yeah, I think that makes Him sense. Him and Juwan Jackson, I think both day two guys at this point. Let's go to tight end. Hunter Bryant, maybe even a better receiver than Sage Surratt. This guy was is, is impressive. I mean, they play him in the big slot a ton at Washington, largely because he doesn't look like a tight end. I think, what, mm-hmm. six foot three, six foot four, two 230 pounds. I, I, I was really impressed. 240s listed at. Mm-hmm. Okay, Which 240. Is, I mean, uh, he doesn't look 240. He does not. I mean, there's a couple of clips of like, him warming up pre like without a shirt, and yeah. the dude looks like a wide receiver. And he plays like a wide receiver. He's good after the you catch. Are, you're really good at finding these guys without a shirt somewhere. It was well, an AJ so Dillon it's, it's you actually, looked up. It's then... actually a bookmark tab. So like, I, I could show you it later if you want. You just, yeah. Um, yeah, I was looking at a clip of him without a shirt or pants on. And it was crazy. <laughs> it was very nice. But um, I like his athletic ability. I think he looks a lot. It's easy to make the comp to Evan uh-huh. Ingram. Yes. He's an athletic tight end prospect. That I think in today's NFL, when more and more time, you know, more and more people are using more slot receivers, I think he could be with a good offense, be one of the better better tight ends in this class. Yeah, so we moved a lot in our eyes because 
so one of the biggest things is we're not going to just base our opinion off a guy with small sample size. So he had only played like 300 snaps in his career heading into this year. Now he was great on those and like he showed the natural talent. So from that perspective, like you could already see that he was a freak athlete. He didn't all of a sudden jump off the tape like Jennings or Surratt, like their contested catchability and the, the after the catchability was somewhat new for us. We hadn't seen it necessarily in the past. With Hunter Bryant, we saw the receiving skills. We just needed to see it over a long period of time. We needed to see him not get hurt because that's why he didn't play as much freshman sophomore years because of injury. So I do think that Hunter Bryant, you know, with the full season, 825 yards this year. I mean, he proved to us that, yeah, he's a dude as far as athletic receiving tight end goes. Uh, probably going to be the tight end one in this draft class. Really? Over Pinkney? Yeah, over Pinkney. I mean, he's a, just a better receiver, better all around, going to be more athletic. Uh, Pinkney, no not going to add much to your blocking scheme either. So I, I think uh, that's probably going to be Bryant. The only worry is like, is he going to be so small? Like we said, he looks 230. He's listed at 240. As if he shows up and he's 230, you're not playing tight end. Like no one's going to, no one's going to, you bring him out in the field and say, you know, uh, 11 personnel, no one's going to respect your running game. What yeah. he can add to that. He's mm-hmm. just going to, they're going to assume that, you know, basically four out receivers at that point. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the offensive line here, starting with left tackle, Josh Jones of Houston. He's a guy that when we brought Dane on the podcast, he, he talked, talked about, about Jones having like, what, four or five different offensive line coaches at Houston. It's and wild. a big reason why he struggled to string any consistency together, string any like technique together. But this year, an absolute, you know, just rise for him. A 93.2 overall grade in 2019. He didn't earn a grade above 77.5 in the three years prior. Yeah. I think he really took a step forward this year. And I think that, along with what he's probably going to do at the Senior Bowl, is mm-hmm. going to put this guy up there in the top 50. Yeah. And we kind of pulled no punches last spring with at Oliver when he came out being like they didn't they didn't coach this guy up like his technique didn't get better from freshman year to junior year necessarily and so uh, I imagine if it didn't happen on the D line I'm not I'm guessing it probably wasn't happening too much on the offensive line either and so for him to take this massive leap uh, with like you mentioned four different offensive line coaches I'm big fan of his game have unabashedly uh, been pumping his tires this whole season so yes going from 62.8 run blocking grade last year to 92.8 this year is a pretty massive leap. Another guy on this list is Trey Smith. Give me your take on him. Yeah, so Trey Smith has, like, it's been no secret that he's one of the most talented offensive linemen in the country. Was a top, you know, I think it was a five star recruit coming out, played like three different positions as a freshman and played fairly well for Tennessee, true freshman year two years ago. Then he's had blood clots in his lungs mm-hmm. the past couple offseasons. So he hasn't even like practiced. And so when he came, so last year they flipped him to left tackle and had him play left tackle exclusively, but basically didn't get an offseason to prepare. Uh, comes in and just didn't go well. Had a 59.9 pass blocking grade. Uh, was not you know the results they had hoped. They kick him inside to guard over the course of this offseason because, again, he couldn't practice, had the blood clots in his lungs, got shut down for most of the offseason, gets cleared to play right on like the uh, right in the eve of the season. And then they throw him out there against Georgia State, BYU. Didn't go too great then. But since then, from week four on, he's been a top five grade, uh, top five grade left guard in all college football. He's looked like a much different player. I, I think just getting him those seeing those reps, seeing him stick at one position that he's probably going to play in the NFL, left guard or just any interior line position, have him play well. Huge for his draft stock in our eyes. Let's go to center Temple, uh, Matt Hennessy. This is a guy that I, a lot of people are fans of him. I think he's risen for on a, a lot of boards around here, an 87.0 overall grade in 2019. He, he's always been one of the better pass blockers mm-hmm. in college football. You look at his grading profile in 2018, a 90.7 pass blocking grade, 2017, an 86.6. I think that's where you really have to be impressed with when you're putting that level of consistency as a pass pre- protector. It's huge. But mm-hmm. the center position, probably more so than a lot of the other offensive line positions, run blocking is so important. Like you need to be a better run blocker than I'd say a better uh, pass protector in my opinion. Yeah, and I think with him, an eighty six point nine run blocking grade this year is impressive. Yeah, so he's three year starter for them, uh, and he's listed at two ninety five. He just was very uh, strength needed to come a long way. And I think we saw that this year uh, in terms of his performance. His run blocking grade took a huge jump. He just, his play strength was a lot better than what we'd seen from him in years past. Uh, now he's got a senior bowl invite. Uh, he's definitely make his way up our board. Uh, probably going to be in our next top 100 uh, when that, actually I think he was in our last top 100. I, I should probably know it's the top 100. I put it together. But he, he's definitely that sort of prospect, like a third uh 
around sort of center at this point. What's your take on the interior offensive line class overall? It seems like the, it's pretty weak. I mean, yeah, compared, I'm not to la- compared to last year, I mean, there were a ton of, you know, Garrett Bradbury and you know, people kind of Elton fell in love with Drew Samia. Yeah. I, I don't think it's that great of an interior offensive line class. I, I'm not sure there's a single guy I'd take in the first round. Uh, I don't think Vitani Muti's coming out, who would be my favorite one, the Fresno State guard. Uh, so I, I think it's a lot of probably like three day two guys, three or four day two guys, and then uh, a lot of tackle converts. Mm-hmm. This is probably going to be your best bet. That's Unless always, like, that's always your best bet. That's, that's like usually going to be your best bet. Uh, going from college offensive linemen because that's where they put their best offensive linemen. But yeah, so there's probably a handful of tackle converts I'd take day two uh, that you'd kick inside. Something like Calvin Throckmorton from mm-hmm. Oregon, some guys like that. Let's go to right guard, Ohio State's Wyatt Davis, six foot four, three hundred thirteen pounds, and eighty one point five overall grade this season. Yeah, and so he's another one. It's like he's a good offensive lineman. I take him day two, but I, I think he's a redshirt sophomore. He is a redshirt sophomore. I don't think he'd declare at this point. Not, it's just rare to see a lot of redshirt sophomores unless you're going super high in the draft especially on the offensive line where usually you pretty much see guys draft stock consistently go up because they there's so much development the position they get a lot better but this is my favorite offensive line prospect at ohio state since taylor decker back in 2016 uh i didn't particularly love taylor decker but again i didn't love billy price michael jordan uh pat offline those guys when they were coming out so I, i think this he's going to be my favorite prospect whenever he does declare athletic powerful didn't allow a single sack or hit this year after barely getting into the lineup started uh, for them in their bowl and the conference championship game last year didn't look great uh, allowed seven pressures over uh, a handful of games last year much different player this year and like I said my favorite Ohio State offensive line prospect since you know in a few years now you know, let's go to right tackle I think this is a guy that has a very good chance to go in the first round if not a lock for the first round Jedrick Wills of Alabama the right tackle he's earned a 91.4 run blocking grade this year Monster. a huge step up from his 63.1 run blocking grade in 2018 a very explosive dude a guy that can get to the second level quickly he can also pancake kids watching his like impact blocks the big time play- blocks the big time blocks playlist in PFL um, only Penny, only Penny Sewell has more at the tackle position this year. So that should tell you the sort of company he keeps in terms of uh, how he's produced. Yeah, he's just so explosive. And uh, NFL offensive line coach is going to see that and, and eyes are going to get real wide because they think any, expo- any an athlete like that just doesn't come around too often. And, and it's sort of, you know, he is probably on Teron Armstead, Lane Johnson level of where he's going to just test so so much off the charts physically that I think you're going to see him. It's just going to work out eventually because you know, so much of tackle play is simply having that athleticism, necessary athleticism to mirror and stay in front of defensive ends. So I do think Jedrick Wills uh, – took a massive step forward this year let's move a little bit quicker here let's top on jump on the two defensive interiors jordan elliott of missouri and bravian roy both of these guys you know rising up drafts so i really like jordan elliott jordan elliott's legit i, I really do like his pass rush potential at the next level I, it's that's why i said this deep tackle class is so hard to parse out we talked about it on the earlier pod but one through four right now they're all like on even playing field elliott had a monster year he was unblockable in pretty much every single game he played in this season and just because he played for missouri i don't think people like people who would see the tape because they were so bad this year like no one's necessarily n- noticed but he was as about as dominant a defense tackle uh, as we saw in college football this year and then Roy nose tackle really never saw much from him as a pass rusher before this year had 20 pr- pressures last year up to 50 this year he's he can move for a fat boy he'll be one of my favorite uh, nose tackle prospects to watch in this draft class I do love a good moving fat boy yeah I, can, I, can get on board with that. I haven't seen him with his shirt off yet but I'll let you know when I do um Let's go, to edge, let's go to edge defender Alex Highsmith. Another guy. I mean, this is a guy that's graded really well for Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Yes, against you know poorer competition than some of the other edge defenders in this class. But I really do like the tools he does have. I think he's an interesting story. I think he's getting better as he moves forward. Could get yeah. even better in the NFL. And the other edge defender here, Josh Uchi of Michigan. I like him. I, I think Josh Uchi is interesting. He's athletic. Mm-hmm. He can bend off the edge. I, I think he relies on the inside move a lot. And every time I get, I yeah. see, I, every time I see an edge defender that relies on the inside move, I start to think, Worrisome. yeah, it's worrisome you need to win outside you need to beat people to the outside shoulder and i think when you when you rely on this inside move it doesn't necessarily translate mm-hmm. to next level because you can't use it every time yeah so he's got the second highest pass rushing win rate in the nation but he still only rushed the passer less than 200 times this year or fewer than 200 times mm-hmm. excuse me fewer than 
only played 197 snaps all of last season. So we just, yes, he's been productive, but it's on such a small sample size. I do think senior bowl will be nice for him to see what ways he wins, how we just approach this one-on-ones. Uh, is it all going to be, you know, inside moves again, or can he win the edge against these guys? Is he going to weigh in at 240, which is what he kind of looks like, or is he going to be, you know, that 250 threshold and actually be able to hold up on the edge? Because a lot of times they will, for his third downs, he'll be standing up on the interior and stunting, and that's how he's gotten home for a lot of his pressure. So, uh, he's interesting has moved, moved up our board just because he has been so damn productive, but I think there's still kind of, uh, that hesitancy to really put him up in that top group. Six foot three, 238 pounds. I agree that if he doesn't yeah. sneak into that 250 range, that was a big thing for Brian Burns. I remember talking to Brian mm-hmm. Burns. He said, I need to get to 250. Yeah. I need to, I don't want to be two gallons of water. And I can't do 248. I need to get to 250. And I think that was a, a big thing that he stepped up for. Um, let's go to linebacker here. Zach Bond. We talked about him a little bit on the Tuesday podcast. Yeah, we just podcast. talked about him on Tuesday um, podcast, but yeah. I, I, I turned on the tape and wanted to look specifically at you know, him as a pass rusher because I think he has graded very well mm-hmm. as a pass rusher. I think if you're going to watch a game for Zach Bond that, that's going to maybe convince you that he can play edge defender, that Michigan game. Mm-hmm. He beats up on that right tackle. He actually like, wins the edge, too, mm-hmm. uh, unlike Uchi. Like, a lot of his wins come around the edge of offense alignment. He's got a nice inside spin too. I mean, he jacked him up a couple times too, like a mm-hmm. bull rush from Zach Bond, yeah. who's not that, you know, not that heavy was pretty impressive. I think this is a guy that is, is good at a lot of things. It's not a master of nothing. I think, exactly. I, I think he's good at a lot of things. And um, uh, I think he's a very football player. player is so, I think we call him Logan Wilson, a football player as well. He's the other off ball linebacker here, the Wyoming kid. I, I, I get scared about these types, man. You, you, you see him. He's a, uh, he's not short, but he looks like he might have maybe some short arms. Oh he's, no. He calling him. I, I don't know. It could be a T-Rex here, but you know he's athletic. He takes on blocks aggressively. I don't know if he's going to have the same level of success in mm-hmm. the NFL, just given he's a little bit smaller. From a, he's thin. He's a little bit thinner than maybe you'd expect. Logan Wilson, he's two fifty. Wait, what are, you, are we talking about? The same guy here, in Wyoming? Nah, th- I, he looks thin on tape, though. It doesn't. I, I just didn't seem. I didn't. Doesn't look thick to me. He's he's six two two fifty. I don't know. He comes downhill, and when he takes on, you know, as a blitzer, he rocks offensive lineman backwards. Rocks running backs backwards so i think he's got enough pop in his game to uh added to that aspect and i was more imp- so at that size i was he moved a lot better than i had expected so i, I think he's moved up our board from that perspective i mean i'm interested to see what he weighs in at because i mean if it is will be at so if, we'll it, if it is 250 i think i'd be i'd be even more impressed with his tape because he yeah. moves like a guy that's like 240 on the on the back end of 240 so um He's an interesting player. Let's go to Caleb Farley. I, I like this guy a lot, too, for yeah. Virginia Tech. He, he had some great breaks on the ball in the UNC game. I think he was an aggressive player. I put in here plays through the target. I don't know if you know, but it means I, I feel like sometimes you go for the pass breakup before the pass is caught, but he mm-hmm. plays through that through, target yeah. and, and tries to break it up when it's uh, even after it's caught, and I think that's very impressive for me. I think um would firmly recommend watching his UNC tape. I think it was very good. I think this dude's a freak. Uh, he's 6'2", 207, massive, massive cornerback. And he had some plays where he, you know, guys had a few steps on him and he would made it up in a blink of an eye. Uh, I'm very curious to see what he ends up running. Only a redshirt sophomore really wasn't on our radar last year after he had a 59.3 coverage grade, uh, or, you know, gave up 463 yards last year, only 265 this year, 19 catches on 50 targets. I mean, he was dominating uh, that left cornerback position for Virginia Tech this year. Uh, I'm at. I'm interested to see if one, if he declares two, what he tests out athletically. Cause I thought, you know, this could buy at 207, 62, 207. I thought he could run the four three. It's like, He's that's only a kind of sophomore. Speed so, I saw from him. so yeah. So there's a chance, good chance. He does come back. Not a lot of guys do. And he really like, wasn't on a lot of draft radars. Haven't heard a lot of talk about him, but watching him down the stretch this season, he played some ridiculously good football in the ACC. Two Utah players on this list, two Utah defensive backs, Jalen Johnson and Terrell Burgess, both earning mm-hmm. on the all draft stock team. Yeah. We've talked a lot. Johnson a lot at this point why he's impressed us you know dominated Pac-12 play this year really moved up our board but Burgess we haven't touched on a lot he got a senior bowl invite in his own right plays a lot of the slot box safety role in that defense and he's really physical uh, I really liked what I saw from him I liked his ability in man coverage on the slot a lot of times when you throw a safety on the slot it's almost like a placeholder where they'll play a lot of zone from there he was playing man he was getting up in guys face he was pressing him at the line of scrimmage really liked what I saw from him so he's a physical box safety who's not necessarily like there's box safeties and there's guys who can do the box and play in the slot i think he is that 
the latter far more so than just a pure box, basically a linebacker. I, I came away with a similar opinion. You, you turn on the Washington State game, he plays a ton of man coverage from the slot, mm-hmm. and it looks very good. I think, and I think that's a big part of it, too. He plays man coverage from the slot, a very difficult thing for most safeties yeah. to do. And I actually went in and split out his grades. He's got a 90.5 PFF coverage grade playing the slot and the box. Mm. And he's got a 69.2. He's got a 69.2 PFF coverage rate at free safety. Yeah. Even though he splits a lot of his time at both positions, I think he does belong in the slot or slot slash box at the next level. And when you have a guy that can play play that position and, and really get things done in there, I think yeah. it's important. Yeah, getting getting the job done in the box is important. I mean, you just have to do it. All right, last last guy on the all draft stock team, Antoine Winfield Jr. I, I mean, I was impressed with his range. I think he does have a lot of injury history, which mm-hmm. is a concern. But uh, I, I did the same for him too a 76.6 coverage grade of free safety 90.3 coverage grade in the slot and in the box so maybe he's those are both good though yeah Uh, like 76 is free safety a lot of times you'll see uh guys get worse there because you get your bigger downgrades you know you you get those minus 1.5s when you when you f up as a deep safety so it's good to see that he's not been doing that for them thrive outside the box yes is what you're saying yeah you don't have to be in the box 24 7 you you can take a weekend (laughs) off that makes sense uh i do think that antoine winfield has (laughs) His range and ball skills on the back end, fantastic. And then, like I said on Tuesday's pod, he has his he has his father's physicality. The way he attacks uh, ball carriers, he you know goes at full speed, but wants to lay the wood down. Uh, and definitely. <laughs> let's just move on to the draft. Let's specials. go. Let's go. Lays the wood but in the box. Antoine Whitfield, keep it yeah. going. All right. So the next thing we're going to do here was we're actually going to do our interview with Connor Rogers of Bleach Report. The host of Bleach Report was uh, that was a very good interview. Very excited to get him. He gave us an open invite to the New York offices and Bleach Report too. I said we take a little work trip. Before we do that though, we got to hear from our friends here at Proper Cloth. Mm-hmm. If you're watching the YouTube channel, you'll notice Mike and I look a lot better today. I went with yes. the open look today, which I think Proper Cloth Proper Cloth offers that versatility. It's not just dress shirts. Exactly. You can get the shorts sleeve you can go long sleeve I, I like yours though today it looks nice thank you yeah i don't own a lot of dress shirts and so uh and the ones i did own i didn't realize they were supposed to fit the way this fits mm-hmm. and that and all i did was type in basically like other shirts that i wear and then they sent me one that fit perfectly yeah and, and they do offer they have like offices in the united states where if like something doesn't fit they like mm-hmm. push to you like hey this doesn't fit you should send it back and get a perfect fit here because it's proper cloth but yeah we're really impressed with what they've done they're sponsoring a lot of podcasts love what they do the website's very easy to use but go to propercloth.com slash pff today and you can enter promo code pff20 to get twenty dollars off a shirt and those start at eighty dollars so there's some nice ones though you get up to the three hundred dollar range you're uh sleeping on some nice things there but I, i'm really excited about proper cloth and we give a big thanks to our sponsor now without further ado let's talk to connor All right, we have Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report on Two for One Drafts here with Mike Renner. Excited to talk to this guy. A great follow. If you're not following him, you've got to follow him. Connor J. Rogers on Twitter.com. Connor, how you doing? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course, man. We had to get you on. You're, you're a great follow, and we, we really appreciate your insight. You know, first question here, and I think it's an easy one. You know, how did you get started with a oh, job in football? How did you get into this process? How did you start scouting and all of that? Well, to be honest with you, when I was in college, uh, I was in business school and I was just kind of bored of, of basically whatever I was doing at my internship at the time. And, uh, you know, I missed playing sports and I, I obviously loved still following football and, and everything that went with it. So I started blogging actually for a couple different sites that, that don't even exist anymore, which is hilarious when I think <laughs> about it. Like, if I ever want to go look at my old embarrassing work, it's not even on the internet anymore. But quickly after that, uh, I latched on with a, a really great group called TurnOnTheJets.com under Joe Caparoso. And I really got my start there because their draft guy had left. He wasn't doing anything anymore. And, and somebody recommended me to them. So while I was in college. I was honestly just blogging. And this is the era of, you know, a draft breakdown existed, so everybody was logging on there and watching broadcast cut-ups. This is probably 2013, I believe. And I was, you know, trying to get through whatever it was at the time, 50, 75, 100 players, while also being a full-time student trying to graduate college, having, you know, a part-time job and, and probably going out and drinking too much beer at the time. So mm-hmm. it was really been something I did for – yeah, it was something I did for fun. And, uh, you know, this could be a much longer story, but I'll keep it condensed. I ended up getting in at Bleacher Report 
as a research assistant, which is the, the lowest on the totem pole, working directly with Chris Sims for a while. And I mean, the stuff I learned from Chris, just from being in, you know, a room going over stuff with him for, for years about football and also Matt Miller, and then making my own connections across the NFL from some people that are a lot smarter than me that were willing to help me. It helped me become a lot better at this. And honestly, let's be real. The draft interest has taken off across the country the last couple of years where fortunately it has become a full-time job for people like me and people like you. And I'm really lucky to be in it. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear, man. I got a little fun fact on that. My how I started, I, I created my own website and did some blogging on my own. The draft polls. Hello, that site doesn't exist anymore. But that was my. Uh, <laughs> I did not know that. That, that was my. Uh, that was my website. There, it was terrible. The writing was awful. I think it was uh, just getting started up. Uh, I think Melvin Gordon was still an underclassman. I was in love. Running back still mattered to me then, so I was pretty uh, pretty interested. I was gonna say. So you, you started back then. What were some of like your early takes? Like, well, um, I no, thought. No, so Connor, here, 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 no, I don't oh, care about oh, your early. Oh, I think you want to hear Sorry, we got got a little carried away. I'll, I'll drop one take. I had Melvin Gordon over Gurley. I thought Gurley, uh, Gordon was better. But Connor, what were some of your early takes when you were in the blogging days? Oh man, that's a good one. I'm trying to think of what class that would be. Well, I remember at the time, I really wanted the Jets to draft Joe Smith, and that was the Ooh. year they had <laughs> the ninth and the ninth and thirteenth pick. And I knew they weren't going to take him ninth, which I was cool with because I thought that was even a little early for him. He had that awful pinstripe bowl. I don't know if you remember. And I was like, yeah, this might be bad. <laughs> Especially when like Tavon Austin was there and they were just running shallow crossers and dumping the ball off to him for 70 yards all the time. It's amazing the, the sick stuff I can remember. So when they took him in the second round, I was like, this is cool. And it ended up being an absolute disaster. So that's, that's a really fun one. Uh, this one, you'd have to like probably all, you call my verify like anyone would believe me except him because he always heard me rambling on about it but i loved russell wilson i really did and i think that was a weird era where the nfl was so against drafting short quarterbacks and me being whatever 19 year old at the time maybe even younger i'm trying to think what year that was i didn't have those kind of uh i didn't have those kind of you know like measurement requirements in my scouting. I didn't care that he was 5'11". I was like, this guy's awesome. He gets out of the pocket. He can throw the ball down the field. He's, he's accurate. He's tough. And it's one of those ones where I look back on it. I'm like, sometimes my own ignorance actually helps because I think NFL scouts come up with these stupid rules. And it's good to see the league so Kyler going number one open to guys like Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's get into some some more recent drafts. I know yeah. we're diving into the the history books here, but we got to talk about Quinn and Williams. He was you know very high on our draft board. He earned one of the highest PFF grades we've seen at the col- in the college era for a defensive interior. But this year, man, he ha- has he struggled. Yeah, he really has. It starts out with he, he was banged up uh, throughout camp. He, he had an ankle injury early on this season. And it seems like he just never fully got on track. And then you have the people coming out and saying, you know, that the scheme is holding him back or he's rotating and out because that's actually are pretty deep at the defensive line, considering they are not a good football team, but they have a lot on this defensive line players that are, are playing pretty well, whether it's, you know, Nathan Shepard and Foley Fadukasi are kind of the breakout guys from the 2018 class. They have Steve McClendon, who's been reliable for a while. They paid Henry Anderson a lot of money, who hasn't been a lot this year, but he was pretty good last year before they paid him, and he's still a solid player. And, of course, they had Leonard Williams before they traded him. So this was a deep group, but Quentin Williams was taken third overall, guys. You're expected to come in and make impact plays. Now, it was interesting for me. I loved Quentin Williams. I had him third overall, which seemed lower than everyone else. I was high. Obviously, Nick Bosa was the best player in the draft. And I had Ed Oliver second. I thought him and Quinnen were very different, but I thought there were certain things that Ed did better or Ed was more ready for at the next level and was a little more versatile. And we're seeing that with Quinnen right now. He's on the ground a lot. I don't know if it's the ankle. That's a big question for me because the strength has not been there. He actually had his best first half of the season against Miami last weekend, and then he gets hurt. So it's, the problem is every time he starts to turn it on, He's getting hurt. So I don't know if it's a conditioning or just poor luck. Sometimes that happens. 
I mean, he's 21 years old, guys. He'll turn 22 this month, I believe. It's one of those things where, you know, I'm not out on him. I think he's definitely had some great flashes. But I think the Jets thought they were getting this impact player that can be a Fletcher Cox type of player. And that has not been the case so far this year. Are you worried about him going for like, so this is the two for one draft podcast. We follow guys from college and then through their rookie season. We always talk about, you want to see it at some point during the rookie year. Are you worried that like, you really just haven't seen it? The same guy we saw at Alabama. I I was until this last weekend, significantly worried because like I said, it's one thing where you're out there and you're not making impact plays. You're not, you know, registering sacks, quarterback hits, even hurries, obviously. And Quinnen was just, unblockable last year at Alabama. That's what's crazy in all this, especially when they ha- they felt they had to play him at shade nose or nose tackle a lot because they had so many guys and he wanted to start. And then this weekend against Miami, you really saw him turn it on and make those plays. Now, you know, he blew up a play in the backfield on the first drive. He got called for a face mask. And then he, he has a great pass rush and, and of course, Fitz goes full Fitz and gets out of the sack somehow. He had a really nice quarterback hit on the same drive. So, you saw him take over at times, but for him to come out and get hurt was a bummer. But before that, of course, you're a little worried because you kind of wonder, uh, is the game, is he just not ready to be in the NFL right now because of, you know, playing strength or is he thinking too much or is it Greg Williams? And Greg Williams has done a really good job this year with a lot of backups, but you have to wonder how much Greg Williams is actually letting him loose. So I think it's not at the point of fear right now but there are a lot of eyes on him each week i'll say that yeah you know greg williams the same guy that told miles garrett to only use two moves yeah. so there is a chance there i think i think the injuries though can't be understated i think they can fall off a bit when you're talking about quinnon williams but being as injured as he's been that's going to slow development for a rookie where all rookies across the board even the guys drafted at number three overall have this curve you know it, it, it takes time um, to adjust to the speed of the game and uh, similar to Cleveland Farrell, who we <laughs> kind of want to get into next. We know that um, the Clemson Edge Fair, Cleveland Farrell, you had 10th overall. He goes to the Oakland Raiders and has really struggled. He's, I think, struggled even more so than Quinton Williams. He hasn't flashed enough for me, in my opinion, to a point where you start to get really worried. What has your opinion been of Cleveland Farrell so far? And then also, what was your opinion of him coming out? Yeah, well, I think this was a reach. I think everybody uh, had enough awareness to say that now. I mean, especially when you take him where they did. Now, with Cleveland, I had him 10th overall, and I definitely thought he was a safe player, but he was he was a high-floor player. But I also thought the ceiling overall was not a guy you take top five. He got off-the-chart grades in interviews, character, being the leader of a championship football team. Being a guy that could set the edge, being a high-motor pass rusher, basically all of those things that you want. The problem is, guys, I don't know how you you know, use a top-five pick on a player like that in that situation they were in where Oakland really needed an edge pass rush. Since they traded Khalil Mack, you know, obviously they've taken swings like Arden Key. They go, now they reach for Cleveland. Now, I don't think he's necessarily been really bad it's not like where he doesn't look like he doesn't belong on the field but once again it goes back to Quinnen where what impact are you getting for that caliber of pick and I don't think they've gotten it yet and with Oakland I could speak to this because I got a good pulse on them before the draft after the draft I do think they have a lot of smart people in that front office but the general theme I got from talking to a lot of people around there was that they wanted to have a safe draft, I guess, but in a way, a super high-character draft. And sometimes teams get so absorbed in that that you do pass up on talent. I think when you look at how far Brian – and Brian Burns was a super high-character player, but a lot of teams felt that he had a potentially dangerous floor. So that's an interesting example. They took a running back in the first round when no matter how good Josh Jacobs was this year – uh, you know, he did have some injury questions coming out. We're seeing the shoulder now. He's a great player, but once again, a running back in the first round, just because he felt he was a safe player. Jonathan Abram had some shoulder problems in college, and those translate to the NFL, but they loved his character. They liked his leadership on the back end. And I'm not saying these were bad picks, because I didn't think they had a horrendous trap, especially when they, they get guys like Max Crosby, Foster Moreau on the back end that I thought were significantly undervalued in this trap. But just the general theme of their strategy seemed to go for high-floor 
high character players in this first swing from Mike Mayock's group. I would I would 100% agree with that. I think that's that's great analysis of what they did. I think I have two things there. One, I think meeting players and how you grade character or, or value character and personality and stuff is dangerous because I think you really do have to consider how much you value it because if you put it at priority one, you are going to pass up on some significant athletes. You are going to pass up on some of those ceilings that you need to chase at the top half of the draft. Another thing I have there too is that I don't think it's necessarily a bad strategy to chase high floor draft picks, especially with how bad the Raiders have drafted in recent years. I mean, they've missed on a ton of players kind of outside that 2014 draft with Carr, Gabe Jackson, Khalil Mack, even TJ Carey was in that draft seventh rounder for the who plays for the Browns now. Um, but I, I think um, floors, floors and ceilings is just difficult. Yeah, to, it is. To, it really is. Sort of but I think, I think it's a discussion worth having. It's a discussion yeah. worth having talking about chasing a high floor or chasing a high ceiling because high ceiling, you're going to get bit with Brian Burns. I think he was definitely the better player, but maybe you, you think he has the lower floor. It's an interesting way of looking at things. So here on two for one drafts, we also like to do a little six pack, a little six pack playing on that beer pond as always. I think we force them sometimes, but I like the six pack. <laughs> it's going to run through six questions here and then kind of uh, let you go. I know yeah, time's valuable. Let's move forward. First thing, what was the first NFL draft you remember watching on TV? Ooh, that's a great one. Um, I, I probably when the Jets had like four. So I, I'm from New York. I, I grew up in a family full of Jets season ticket holders, so I had no choice but to be miserable. Maybe that's why I like the draft so much, because we're used to watching it like it's the Super Bowl. Uh, the year they had like four first-round picks, it was like absolutely ridiculous. I remember that one. Uh, obviously, when they got Keyshawn, was being one. So we're talking when I was wow. like literally yeah. seven, eight years old, I was watching the NFL draft with my dad, knowing that this was very important, but not understanding the full implications of it at the time just yet. Dude, I don't, I don't even remember watching the mid nineties like that. I don't think I watched until early two thousands. Those are way back though. Well, also it was in, it was in radio city. So like, here's like a really interesting story too, of my interest in the draft at the time since it was in radio city for so long and we were in new york um, my dad was a firefighter in new york city and his buddy ran like a freelance security company in the firehouse so they used to actually prevent security for the players that went to the draft because they do stuff all week so like it was two years in a row they did it so like the year reggie bush was in the draft gronkowski was in the draft uh vernon davis all of that stuff so like that also piqued my interest because it was like, oh, yeah, I just spent the day with all of these guys working like a part time job of security. Like these guys are awesome. And like as a kid, you think like athletes are absolute superheroes. So you're like mind blown by this. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sweet. Right. First, first draft, I remember Robert yeah. Gallery going number second. I grew up in oh, Oakland. My dad's been yeah. a, a Raiders second, uh, season ticket holder forever. But Robert Gallery, my dad's like, this guy's a mountain. He's going to he's going to change the NFL. Uh, little did we know he could. <laughs> He could barely play tackle Didn't or guard. the Raiders, but yeah. All right, next question here on the six pack. First year you put together a draft board. That would probably be 2000, I want to say 13, because that was the first year I was really doing it in a sense where I could cover that amount of landscape. Now it was probably like 50 to 75 players at the time. Yeah. And there's a good the chance it, ex- it exists on this website. Uh, that does not exist anymore. So <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the oldest one I can find. It's either in a spreadsheet or on turnonthejets.com. It's probably around 2014 or 2015. That was the worst. That was 13 was a terrible draft too. DJ that, that was awful, awful draft. Awful, awful, oh. awful draft. Morris Claiborne too in that draft. D Milner. Oh no, D Milner. That's D. who it was. Milner. Yeah, D Milner. Yeah. Man, uh, let's go to this next question here on the six pack. Biggest hit. You know, the biggest one where you're like, dude, I was high on this player. No one else liked him, and now he's great. Where, where, where would you call that for you? Oh, I went back to the Russell Wilson story. I think that would be a pretty good one. Um, and that's a really good question. As I as I go through the years now, they all start to blend together. It's it's absolutely ridiculous when I think about it. I'm hoping Kelvin Harmon is that guy this year. Although I know I know the draft community liked Kelvin Harmon, uh, they really did. It seems like the NFL uh, wanted nothing to do with him for whatever reason, but he's stuck around in Washington. So good for him. I'm kind of hoping that's the one that pans out. Yeah, there you go. And then uh, Mike, uh, biggest miss here. Biggest miss. Yeah, who was your biggest miss over the years here? So, so 
it's so much easier to answer this one because these are the ones I remember. I, I don't even care about the hits anymore because, like, I feel like I should hit on players when you get asked to do this all year round. <laughs> but Daniil Hunter, oh, my God. I, I couldn't have been more wrong about Daniil Hunter. When I remember watching him at LSU, I was like, what is the hype on this guy? Like, he looked amazing. He has these long arms. He's strong. You know, he's a pretty good athlete. But I just remember seeing him getting getting thrown out of place a couple times, and I was like, man. And he, this is the time where you're hearing chatter about him being, you know, potentially a top 50 pick because that happens to every prospect every single year. And now Daniel Hunter is on pace when you look at his age and production to be one of the best pass rushers of the modern era. See, there's no shame to me, though. Or there is shame, but there's it's not nearly as much if you're low on a guy and the NFL is also low on a guy and then he turns out to be good. But if like I think I feel like it's way worse when you're high on a guy mm-hmm. and say the NFL is low and then it turns out to stink. That's yeah, when it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, God, I was like way off. Those to me are way more egregious misses because it's like, oh, if you're low on a guy, you could have theoretically drafted a good player. Like Jerry Tillery so far this year. Yeah, OK, you. yeah. Let's not bring up. Jerry. Sorry about that. Um, OK, so for, no, no, the ones that don't make sense, <laughs> like Rashawn, Rashawn Garrett is an interesting one to me. Like, whatever reason, and I'm not writing him off, that'd be unfair. But it, it seems like the league and a lot of people, you know, that that lean on the league, uh, you know, really like Rashawn Gary. And I'm sitting there watching him not even being a top two player on his defense. Mm. So it's like, what am I missing here? That kind of stuff is, is the weird one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go to um, most difficult position to scout for you. Obviously, they're all difficult to some degree, but it's one of those one of those ones that maybe it's taken you a long time to understand and and had to learn from a lot. But where are you at with the most difficult position for you? Uh, th- to answer the, the latter part of that question would be quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, I think the nuances of the position. Now I feel like I have a decent grasp of it. Now you're always going to miss like crazy because it is the volatility of the position. Uh, the mental makeup aspect of the position and just so many things can go wrong. But I mean, that's one where I ask the most questions about to people that I trust that are pretty good at it. People that have drafted some pretty good quarterbacks. And I think, and also, like I said, a guy like Sims that will be the first person to tell you his NFL career didn't go the way he wanted it wanted to, but the guy understands playing the position and the game as good as anybody in media right now. And I think, you know, that was one where you're sitting there and you go, okay, this, this is a lot more complicated than I ever thought. This is not turning on film and just seeing a guy complete passes. There are a lot of different things. You know, and another person, Quincy Avery, that, that trains quarterbacks, I think some of the stuff that he goes over on Twitter, and, I, and I've met Quincy before and spent time with him. He's, he's awesome. You know, he trains Deshaun Watson and Dwayne Haskins. Guys like that that just know every little detail of the position, soaking up their kind of info is really important. Now, I think the one that's going to be the trickiest this year for me personally is probably going to be wide receiver because there's so much talent in the group. But at the end of the day, some of these guys are going to be are going to be misses, and stacking them the right appropriate way is going to be very challenging. I don't really have, you know, I'm not really overthinking guys like C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith. Those guys are easy evals. But when you get into the second round of the group, I know the most polarizing one on Twitter has been Tyler Johnson, but there's a lot of guys like that. I think that's going to be the trickiest one this year because of the volume of the position. Yeah, I don't think you're alone at the receiver position. The NFL themselves pretty much have sucked at it <laughs> over the past five or so years. So, yeah, and with the quarterback position too, I think it's all, it's very difficult to scout just scouting the tape alone. But also, I think it's the one position where personality and off field yeah. is so important. Like you, you, Bruce Gradkowski is an analyst with PFF now, and the stories he tells about Jamarcus Russell are like, oh my gosh, if I talk to Jamarcus Russell, I don't think he'd be even on my board it was that bad like yeah. of what in terms of what how he treated you know working out and you know studying film was incredible i think um off field is so important there and i think that's what really makes it difficult for people who don't have that access um go ahead all right what position then flip side of the coin last one here in the six pack what position do you think is your best in terms of over the course of your scouting career what have you hit the most on or just feel most comfortable with your projections well, it's funny. I said Daniel Hunter was my miss. Now that was, you know, many years ago. I think I've actually gotten much better at edge pass rusher. I think it's it's pretty easy to see what a guy is now at edge pass rusher. Now some guys are late bloomers. You know, Hunter was a guy that you underestimate his age. 
and, and just how much he can develop. And once again, that could go back to being, you know, a character kind of thing. But last year, the way I stacked this, like it was easy to see that Nick Bosa was a pretty elite edge rusher. It, it was pretty easy to see Brian Burns' potential and, and that Brian Burns was somebody that I thought was more ready to make an impact than people let on. It, it was easy for me to see that Cleelan Farrell was, you know, what Cleelan Farrell was good at and, and that Cleelan Farrell probably wasn't this double-digit sack or, or high-impact kind of guy. Now, Josh Allen has surprised me a little bit. I'll say that. I had Josh Allen, I think, 15th or 16th as I look at this right now. Yeah, and, and so when I look at it, I mean, that's not hating a guy. I had him in the first round. Yeah. But I, I think Josh Allen, you know, some of the ways he got his sacks, his inflated numbers at Kentucky, I sat there scratching my head. Like, I don't know if this will translate instantly at the NFL. And, and he's been really good this year. But edge pass rusher, I feel pretty comfortable with cornerback. I often feel very comfortable with, and it's, you know, those are the positions where you can get a really good feel for a guy on the tape he puts out in college. 100%. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate you going through the six pack. We're going to definitely have to connect in mobile for the senior bowl. And then also maybe we get you out here to Cincinnati, watch some tape with us, grind some all 22 and uh, show you the offices. Or no, be... Maybe we go to New York. That sounds more, yeah, more fun. <laughs> I try and make Cincinnati sound cool, Mike. Okay. I'm from California and I can get on board with it. Food's not great. The weather kind of sucks, but outside of that, it's pretty great, man. I'm, I'm all for it. But um, again, really appreciate your time. We'll definitely have to connect in mobile and maybe we get out to New York. Don't come to Cincinnati. Apparently, it's terrible but uh thanks again man yeah you guys have an open invite to new york i mean sam and steve have been through the office so i think you guys owe me a visit uh we could do a show and have a good time but thanks again i really appreciate you guys having me on you guys do a great show and great work and i'm sure i'll see you guys down at the senior bowl of course man thank you All right, we're back. Let's do the draft special segment. I, I really liked uh, getting Connor on the phone there. We definitely have to get him back on the podcast in the future. We're also going to see him in the Senior Bowl, so yeah. that'll be good. Draft we'll special, so this is where we're going to talk about some of the best rookie matchups from the upcoming week. We got Drew Locke going against the Chiefs defense. And I know you did a deep dive on Drew Locke for a piece that was potentially going to come out for PFF this week. wasn't interesting enough. We pulled away because of sample size. Yeah, we pulled away because like take was basically good, but not like he Definitive. did some things well, but yeah, it wasn't like, oh man, he was reading defenses, hitting guys perfectly down the field time after time. No, he relied a ton on yak, had a, probably three like r- nice throws in that game. Uh, I think we only gave him one big time throw, but also had two pretty rough decisions. The interception was the interception was pretty damn ugly. So uh, there's good and bad. I, I think it's definitely, I want to see him. This is a huge week for him because they got a massive lead. They got a two-score two lead against the Chargers, two-score lead against the Texans, and then they just throttled that offense down. Like it just, they took it out of his hands, and there's no disrespect to him. I'd do the same thing. If I had a rookie quarterback, I wouldn't let him lose the game, shatter his confidence, that sort of thing right off the bat. Let him get some easy completions, keep the momentum going, get some wins under his belt. But now, you're going up against Patrick Mahomes. They're not going to be able to probably do that. They're not going to have a two-score lead, and even if they do, that might disappear overnight. So you're going to have to put the ball in his hands, let him work a little bit more. So I'm just excited to see that. And I think I'll write that piece next week and we'll get a more, much more definitive take on who Drew Locke is, I think, after this week's game. There's an interesting opportunity, too. I, we, I'm going to try and stretch this out here to a little three for one. Second year players, Cortland Sutton. No, we can't go to that. No, you don't want to. You don't, no, I'm kidding. We can go to Cortland Sutton. Yeah, what, Cortland what's your take on that? Because he's created really well for us this year. And you know who has is Deshaun Hamilton. I know. A guy that people really liked coming out of Penn State, a little bit shiftier, yeah. plays mostly in the slot. But Cortland Sutton. Hands have been fun. But Cor- Cortland Sutton, though, is a guy that's not a big separate in the NFL, more of a bigger receiver with great contested catchability. He's looking good. Well, I think that was the biggest thing was I thought he could, uh, you know, be a separate, more of a separator for a big receiver at the NFL level. But I didn't think he'd be this good in contested situations too. Like he's had so many just superb catches uh, going over guys. I just didn't see that. You know, playing at SMU, you can do that against you know cornerbacks uh, in the group of five. You're not going to do that necessarily against NFL cornerbacks. Just didn't necessarily see. It. There's so few guys that can do it the way he. He's done it so far this year. So a massive year two for him and only one drop on 60 catchable passes like wow. the hands uh, after nine drops on 51 Deshaun, last year. Deshaun been a lot Hamilton better. wishes. And yeah, De- yeah, Deshaun has not been necessarily. Struggling same, but yeah, with drops. Very. Is SMU wide receiver you? I'm asking for a friend. 
who else we got from SMU? Jake Proche. Jake Proche. That's, is that your Reggie, friend? Reg, Reg, Reggie Roberson. I mean, there's there's some talent. There's some talent. There, okay. There's as much wide receiver as Texas's DB. <laughs> Fair. All right, let's go to Max Crosby, the Oakland Raiders edge defender. Um, if we're going against Juwan Taylor, a, little, a rookie on rookie action yes. the Jacksonville Jaguars. Max Crosby so far this year, 39 total pressures. Cleveland Furl, the team's first-round pick, 23 total pressures. And, and, and some bad things on that tape as well. Not really, you know, um, mm. standing out as a pass rusher. We didn't have pit. to bring up Cleveland Farrell in this. It was just Max Crosby against Juwan Taylor. We don't have to talk about anyone else. You're here. right. You're right. But, Let's go back to Max Crosby. <laughs> He's looked very good this year, though. And, and we thought yeah. that transition from Eastern Michigan to the NFL is going to take some time. And I think it still is. He's not grading out at a very high level. No, yeah. It's but, not like week in and week out he's been a guy you can rely on. He's had some big games against some bad tackles, but he's going up against a rookie like Jawan Taylor, uh, you know, was in college last year too. So he's the guy they probably, uh, if you're going to beat up on someone, it should be someone like Jawan Taylor, but Taylor's had himself a good year. 67.1 pass blocking grade. Yes. He's given up seven sacks, uh, but only 34 pressures on 606 pass blocking snaps. Cause the Jags have been passing a ton there this year. Uh, I, I do like what I've seen from him. I, I think for a guy who's only junior coming out, I, I expected some strong, struggles out the gate. This is a very encouraging rookie season from him. Uh, so uh, far more encouraging than uh, you know, Cam Robinson's was coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we thought so. Yeah. Let's break out the duck calls here because we got Devlin Hodges going against the Bills defense. So what's your take on Devlin Hodges? I, I, I'm interested to know what you think. So that game was, again, like they really protected him against Arizona. They didn't really open it up whatsoever. But he then also protected the football in his own right. And I do think he was quick to scramble, uh, but he's fairly athletic. Like he was, if that first read wasn't necessarily there. He ducked his eyes a lot and was running out of the pocket. So from that perspective, if you're projecting forward, that's not necessarily uh, a great thing to always be ducking your eyes. But you can get away with it. And in the short term, you're not expecting him to be, you know, Drew Brees. You're not expecting him to be this all-world guy. You're going to take any first down you can get any way you can get it. So uh, I do think it's better that he does that than throw uh, some ugly picks. So I, I like what I've seen from him in terms of playing winning football for them right now. Not necessarily protecting forward. Uh, you just need to see more downfield throws. Like, they did so few. Uh, and on some of them were pretty ugly, his ball plays. What's his zone. average depth of target this year? It's got to be super low. They do, he does not throw the ball downfield at all. They really keep the training wheels on him. Yeah, I'm not sure. I can look mm-hmm. that up for you. Oh, no, no worries. I know a site. I can check it out. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I do think you know you, you need a larger sample size to see all of his, you know more throws from Devlin Hodges, but you also need to see a large sample size of throws of like ten or more air yards. I don't think he has a ton of those on his tape right now, and they're not asking him to do those probably for a reason. They don't want him taking those risks necessarily. Um, let's go into our last segment here. Our chug. But he's playing the Bills D, so it's a defense that's good mm-hmm. this week. Like if you're not going to be able to dink and dunk the Bills D, they're going going to lock down. You're not going to get a ton of first downs by doing that. So you're going to have to make some nice throws. His average up to the target this year actually 8.9, so not bad. Okay. Let's go ahead and chug a prospect here. Utah State's Jordan Love. Well, no Let's. longer. No longer Utah State. This yes. guy's declaring for the 2020 NFL draft. The guy with a very awful touchdown to interception ratio mm-hmm. has not had a good year. Struggled against good defenses. You look at that LSU game. Did not have a good day there. I think Jordan Love had a very interesting decision for him because he still can get a lot better potentially if he returned to Utah State or transferred. Yes. So this one, I go back and forth on whether it's like if you really believe in yourself so much that you think you could play your way into a top five pick next year, then you believe that you could win a starting job as a second or third rounder and then you're closer to your second contract as a quarterback. Like financially, whatever, like the decision, uh, I, I can understand wanting to just get to the NFL right away. But I just 17 touchdowns, 16 picks right now. Is a, is a GM going to take that in the first round? You're going to get roasted. And especially if that guy looks like, you know, Deshaun Kaiser year one, uh, if it's just bad out the gate and you took him top 20 in this draft, you're not going to last long as GM. Like uh, that's, you know, McKagan took Hackenberg and he was gone two years later. So uh, here are the positives uh, for Jordan Love. Ball jumps out of his hand that we're in the draft guide here. You can go get with the edge or elite subscription. Ball jumps out of his hands. Sling it to all levels. Shows touch attacking between linebackers uh, and over and under the safeties. Uh, overall accuracy as a plus was 14th in 2018 among returning draft eligible QBs in terms of accuracy percentage. One of the best in the country at avoiding sacks. This to me is probably his biggest thing. He is so good in the pocket in terms of guys in his face. He gets rid of the ball. He dumps it. Doesn't take those negative plays. Converted pressure sacks only 10.5 percent of the time. That's like 
which Phillip is rare. Rivers. Which is Philip Rivers, you I mean, that's like one of those. That's an elite level. Uh, and for a guy to be doing that, like I said, as a sophomore last year, it was pretty impressive. Uh, but the negatives, even last year in his best year, had only a fifty-one point five passer rating under pressure. So it's almost as if yes, he avoids sacks, but he's not necessarily making good things happen with the ball when that pressure does come. A uh, ton of screens in Utah State's offense. Uh, a quarter of his yards in two thousand eighteen came via screens. That was a lot. So if you're looking for a big regression, that was a big part of it as well. As you didn't get a lot of free yards on screens this year doesn't always bring his lower half with him as he throws his feet are all over the place uh, in terms of they lead to a lot of accuracy issues down the field doesn't always step through his throws relies on his arm like he'll have a lot of throws it's almost very similar to Aaron Rodgers nowadays where yes you see that Aaron Rodgers when he does step into a throw and wants it to go where it, uh, wants it to go a place it'll go there but if he doesn't there's a lot of times he thinks he can do it without it uh, and then it ends up not happening so he ends up he relies on his arm too much has some balls that just die down the football field and he throws late over the middle of the field a lot. Just, and that even was 2018 he was doing that. 2019 it got worse. And the biggest thing for me is his splits first half of the game, second half of the game. This year, first half of the game, 85.7 passing grade. Second half of the game, you know, we're thinking they're down. Second half, trying to come back, 56.2 passing grade. They pressed a lot. Most turnover-worthy plays in the nation in the second half of games. Wow. So that's just... that's. It's not a good thing to have is when you're trying to come back. Yes, it's you don't want to have the guy who's conservative. Uh, you want to be have a more variance at that point to try to win you games. But the way he was was uh, it was just too far, too far in that one regard. Where would you start to feel comfortable as a GM to take him? Oh, man, that's so tough. Third, fourth. If you're no way, it's fourth. I, I, no, I, it's earlier than that. I, I still think he's probably a second. If you draft him in the second round, I'm not going to argue with <laughs> you at all. Like where Drew Locke got drafted last year, 40th. Like if you're taking a guy there, you're saying, I have reservations about him. I know that last year didn't go his way, but I see the potential. Like he's, he's in that Deshaun Kaiser, Drew Locke sort of uh, realm of you, you see the talent, but there's so far to go that I'm not going to waste a first round pick on him. a guy who could be an immediate impact starter. Mm -hmm. Second round uh, is a little different. I, I'd be willing to take him then. You see someone taking him in the top 20, though, you get a little scared. Yes, exactly. Like it's like you. Because then there's your more pressure pick. on it. And him. then, yeah. That's a good point. Well, that's going to do it for the 2 for 1 drafts podcast. I know I did a little three for one there, reluctantly. I'm glad you obliged uh, there. But uh, thanks again. Remember, you can see us on YouTube Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're also on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to tune in next week. But this has been Austin Gale and Mike Renner, 2 for 1 drafts. 